for a sermon, we will offer up songs particularly for Corbin to play that are thematic with the sermon. Well, um, I didn't offer up to him. And as we are singing the songs and knowing what's going to be preached, I'm, I'm rejoicing in the songs. It's almost like the preaching should come and then the songs be sung so that the themes that came out in the spoken and preached word of God, you could see them mesh with the hymns there uh, today. Um, as we gather to worship every Sunday morning, we gather to worship God. That's why we're here. You're not here just to hear a pep talk. We're not just here to sing songs. Our desire, hopefully, and we spoke of this last week, when we looked at Christ's call for us to worship, even in the midst of temptation, we must make much of God. We must magnify God. Now, to be clear, we can't make God bigger. We can't. But we can make Him bigger in our hearts and in our minds. Because too often we think small of God. And God deserves to be magnified. For He is holy. And He is righteous. And as Caleb pointed out this morning, omnis, there's lots of omnis that we can throw into God. We do not have imagination enough to comprehend and fathom God. And we do not have imagination enough to comprehend the things that God might do in and through us when we are properly oriented with Him. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a car pulled up in front of my house, and it was my first day of driver's education. I had never driven a car before. Dad didn't take me out in the country roads and say, Hey, here, son, why don't you climb behind the wheel? He didn't do that with me. That's my dad. My dad was very straight and by the book. So the first time I got behind the wheel was for driver's ed with some guy I'd never met before. And he didn't have a steering wheel. He did have a brake pedal on his side of the car. But it's just me behind the wheel. And so I'm like nervous. The 2,000 pounds of metal and I'm going to be controlling it. I didn't get into a wreck. So it's, it's not, that's not where this is going. But I don't even remember the guy's name. But to do what he desired required me to listen to what he was saying. I had to hear his voice. I had to do what he said. As an instructor pilot for a lot of years, I had controls. You know, where if the student was gooning something up, I could simply take control of the airplane. And what a blessing that was when I think back to my days as a student. Josh is about to go down that road here shortly. You know, I, I always joke that mama's in the backseat and mama's going to take care of you. Okay. 
but it's important for the student to listen to his teacher and so much more so for us today. My success as a driver, as a pilot, depends upon my willingness to trust the words of him who's sitting beside me or behind me. Today we're going to look at God's call to Jeremiah. So if you haven't flipped there already, we're going to be in Jeremiah 1. And it's God's call to a prophet. And we're going to see this flesh out. To hear the words of the one who is speaking and to do them. How critical it is for us. How critical it was for the prophet then and it applies as much to us. I must look to him. I must abide in him. This is the end that he calls each one of us to. And in so doing, we will make much of God simply by being obedient to him. Fathers, we come before you. We would ask that you guard our hearts and minds. Guard my lips. We pray, God, that you would be magnified in our hearts and minds from the pages of your word, from your declaration to a prophet so many years ago. God, that we would be a people pleasing to you, that we would be a bride uh, adorned for you. Father, help us even now in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Jeremiah chapter 1, he sets the stage for us. If you were to read through verses 1, 2, and 3, we see that Jeremiah was a prophet to the land of Judah during the reigns of Josiah through Zedekiah. Josiah being a good king, Zedekiah being the last king. And into the fifth month of captivity is what it declares. Throughout Jeremiah, and really throughout a lot of the prophets, you read, the word of the Lord came to me. You see that right away in verse 4. You see in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, or the middle of verse 9, the Lord said to me, the start of verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 12, the Lord said, verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me. In the middle of verse 17, he, God just says, Say to them everything that I command you. Jeremiah is pretty clear that it is God who is speaking to him here. Over and over again. And he is making the bold declaration that what I am telling you is what God said. Now, I would argue that, and we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, that the more I hear the voice of God, the more familiar I will be with that voice. If somebody were to impersonate Tracy's voice, they would be hard-pressed to get her voice past me. Why? Because I've lived with her for a few years. I know her voice the more familiar we are with hearing the Word of God, the clearer His voice will be to us. 
And when God spoke to Jeremiah, he was compelled to do what God desired him to do. And Jeremiah desired to do that thing as well. Think of a child in a crowded room. You call, hey, hey, river. And he hears his voice. But if, if there are two voices in the room, and it's me and Ty, and we call, hey, river, river's head is probably going to turn that way before it turns this way. Because dad is calling him. Hopefully he will turn to that voice which he trusts, which is familiar to him, as opposed to a rebellious child who will not hear the voice of his parent even in a crowded room. What about us? Do I hear God's word? Do I desire to hear God's word or do I want a fresh word? You hear this a lot. People want a fresh revelation from God. I want to hear something new. Let's go back to the old. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Alright, let's break it down. All Scripture. All Scripture. Now, when Paul is writing this to Timothy, all Scripture was the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament. Okay, but Peter, in his second letter, puts... Paul's writings and the writings of the other apostles on par with the Old Testament writings. And so we can have confidence that when we hold God's word, we hold all scripture. And all scripture has been breathed out by God for what? For profit. It is for our good. It is for our good is what God's word is. When thus saith the Lord, it's for your good. What does it do? It teaches. Where do I go? What do I do? I've never done this before. I've never pulled away from the curb. How do I even put it into gear properly? It will reprove us. You probably shouldn't drive through that stop sign. Okay, not good. And correction. Okay, slow down before you get there. And training in righteousness. This is what the Word of God does in our life. These are good things. And what is the end of these? That you may be complete. You don't need a fresh word. You need the Word. You will be equipped for every good work. You will be lacking nothing. So do, do I need the Quran? Do I need a newer revelation? Do I need the doctrines and covenants or the pearl of great price as the Mormons might argue? No. This is what I need. 
herein I will be lacking nothing. So, you know, it is no surprise, we talked about this again in the temptations of Jesus, that the word answered with the word and beckons us to cling to the word, abide in the vine, that we might be nourished and complete. The word we see that comes to Jeremiah in verse 5 here, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, what? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet for the nations. You hear here, hear here, the call of the sovereign creator. Before, before I formed you, before you were conceived by mom and dad, I knew you. The idea is, for those who have seen the movie, movie The Sting, they're, they're setting up a scam. They're trying to take this guy's money. And they do it by betting horses in the 1920s. They know the outcome of the horse race before they broadcast it. They know what went down before they broadcast. Everyone thinks they're broadcasting it real time. Not so. Okay. That's the sense of I knew. I know this thing completely before it ever happens. This is not God looking forward and knowing what's going to unfold. But it is more than that. It is a full knowledge. It is a I have ordained this thing. That is why I know this thing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And notice the tense. It is past tense. I knew my father who is no more. Past tense. I know my wife and children. I know you. I knew somebody. Past tense. Before I formed you in the womb, I already knew everything about you. Your decisions, the choices you would make, your plans and purpose, the plans and purposes I have for you. Now, we're going to go, well, that's Jeremiah. That's not me. This is spoken to Jeremiah. And I go, yes, you're right. But the principles are all over the word of God. This isn't something God simply does with Jeremiah. God's sovereign design and plan is not for just a few. It is for each one. A lot of people love Jeremiah 21, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans for a hope and a future. And that is a promise God gave to Israel. But again, these things that he promises to Israel in 29.11, we see fleshed out elsewhere in Scripture. We saw it fleshed out in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to flip there just to spend a little bit of time on what Chris read this morning. Because this is what God has for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's way before the womb. God had purpose and plan for everybody before the foundation of the world. That what? That we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. In love, He predestined us for adoption adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, that's Christ. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth. In Him, in Christ, we've already obtained, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, again, predestined according to the purpose of Him. Now get this, okay, in, in, in tying this with Jeremiah, He has predestined us to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed, in Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You go, okay. He called Jeremiah for a purpose. One chapter later, in chapter 2, verse 10, he tells us that we are his workmanship. We are crafted by God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as God has said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I ever knew you, and I have called you with this purpose. So God has done to each one. And then you go, well, what if I'm not walking in his will? Oh, I mean, anybody have a burning bush lately to say, you know, go, go to Egypt? I, I don't. Um. I've heard, I've heard no audible voice. But I hear his voice very plainly. Very plainly. Very clearly. I abide in the vine. I love him with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. Enjoy 
I live and move and have my being in Him. Acts chapter 17. And so we serve Him and obey Him in delight and in joy. I can do nothing else. And then I follow the delights of my heart. Not over, but because of Him. God has made every one of you unique. You are all different. You all have different likes and desires, affinities, talents, skills, intuitions, all those things. You're all different. There's four boys sitting right there. They're all going to grow to be very different, even though they got the same mom and dad. So I look my four boys. Okay, they're all going to be different. But if I am rightly oriented with God, I can do what He has ordained me to do. What is that? I don't know. Go push on a door. Does it open? Go that way. Unless God has clearly demarked it, you know, you, this is forbidden. Don't go here. Okay, good. I'll go someplace else. But push on the doors. If it opens, oh, go through it. Great. Why? Because you're oriented with God and you can trust Him. So God's call to Jeremiah is a sovereign call, but Jeremiah's a mess. Jeremiah's not a you know, super saint. Jeremiah's a broken man. And he's young at the time, and he goes in verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 1, Oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. Jeremiah is not so sure about this. Because you want me to be a prophet? I haven't been to the Ravi Zacharias Institute Ministry School of Apologetics. Who am I? I'm not going to be able to have some fancy argument. I'm young. I don't have any experience. I've never pulled away from the curb. Where's he looking? What? He's not the first guy in Scripture to do this. Moses did the same thing. God's telling him to go, and Moses says, I don't talk good. He's looking at himself. Saul, King Saul, has anointed the king. Where is, what's he do? He goes and hides in the luggage. You know, he doesn't stand up as king. He's like, uh, I mean, he's head and shoulders above everybody else, but he's, he's, he's weak. Isaiah, before the living God, he gets a vision of, in the throne room of God and he recognizes, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. This is not a bad thing. This is not a bad thing before a holy God to have this right perspective. God resists the proud. Peter says it. James says it. They're both hearkening back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. God resists the proud. But if we dwell on our brokenness, we're looking in the wrong direction. If I look at my feebleness, I'm looking at the wrong thing. What's going to trip you up? Well, 
man, you don't know what I've done in the past. My, my past is a mess. You don't know what a horrible man I have been, what I did as a teenager. You know, I don't have any degrees. Who, how can I go speak at the college? I'm uneducated. You know, I don't even have a bachelor's degree. And, man, I read some of this stuff, I don't even understand it. I'm, I'm not very smart that way. And, you know, man, I don't, I don't come from a, a, a rich family. I don't come from a, I'm not a, I'm not a Bush. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Roosevelt. Um, and my, my bank account's pretty meager. All of these things are looking into me. But God says, verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Go. Just go do. Go do what I've commanded you to do. Why? Because I am with you. And you go, well, again, God's talking to Jeremiah. And I'm going to say, will you stop saying that? Yes, that's true. But that principle is within all of Scripture. I started out our our time of worship here reading Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No event, no entity, no power, no person. What about death? No. Death will not thwart God's plan. In fact, it may be that your death is the very beginning of God's glorious plan and purposes. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, the five missionaries who died down on the river beach in South America, impaled, trying to reach an unreached tribe. And you go, Destroyed. Satan just destroyed everything. How many missionaries were born out of the death of those five men? Countless people were called to the mission field by the power of the Holy Spirit through their death. Many more were called to support missions because of the death of those men. In Christ, there is no such thing as a meaningless death. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can thwart God's good purpose or plan. So if God has called such a weak vessel for His purpose, what does He desire for Him? We'll pick up the the call of the powerful word 
in verse 9. The Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You have my word. God doesn't call you to craft some really cool argument. You have the word of God. You have what the word of God has done in your life to declare. You know, some might wonder, well, he's, well could he forget? What, what if he forgot? God tells him, okay, now I've got to go, I've got to remember this, I've got to keep, keep reciting it over and over again. No. Again, we look to Scripture and we see that in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus tells the apostles, after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come who would bring all of his teaching to remembrance. with clarity, which is why we can have confidence in the gospel accounts that God would not mess up the history of his son to us. And so too with the prophets, they have the clear word of God. And so we today have the clear word of God before us. We have his word. Jeremiah had his purpose and intent that God was going to do a work by His Word. In, in this case, it was to pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow and build and plant nations. And through His Word, God has purpose and plan for your life and for what He calls you to do. Now, God's going to give Jeremiah two visions. The first one in, in verses 11 and 12 is of an almond branch. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And, and Jeremiah said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Okay, and I read through that, and I went, Okay, I don't get it. But the word for almond is shakade. You go, big deal. That means the awake one. The almond tree was the first tree to bloom and blossom. Okay, so it was like the, the awakening of spring by the almond tree. It was the awake one. The one that is alert. Okay? So, what do you see? An almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, I am watching. So shaked is almond tree. I am watching shaked. There's a play on words there that we don't get in English that is very plain in the Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew. Okay, shaked and shaked means I am sleepless. I am aroused. I am alert. I am attentive. What do you see? I see an almond tree. Well, I am as awake and aroused as the almond tree, the new almond tree. 
What's he watching over? He's watching over his word to perform it. If God declares something in his word, it is sure. God doesn't forget it. It's going to play out just as he ordained it to be. We can have great confidence that his word will come to pass. The second thing that Jeremiah sees is a cauldron. Verse 13, what do you see? I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And really, God now declares the first judgment that is going to come. Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around, against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own lands. I'm not going to break that apart, but just to declare that God has given Jeremiah a word that this is going to come to pass. Jeremiah ultimately takes this to Judah to speak out against them. So this is the call that Jeremiah has received from the Lord in the power of his word. Now, the sweet thing is God doesn't just pat him on the keister and say, okay, good luck, go on. You know, the, 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 the teacher didn't step out of the car when I stepped in. He stayed with me to go with me as I went. So we see in the empowering call of God that He goes with us to fulfill what He has promised. See what He says to Jeremiah in verse 17. But you... Dress yourself for work. Get dressed. To the Israelite, it would be gird up your loins. Okay, they wear long robes. Okay, you are not going to run in the long robe. You're going to hike the thing up there around your legs so you can move freely and be about your business. So you can now run. You're going to gird up your loins. There, be ready, get dressed for work. For us, when is God going to move you to do something, anything? Be ready. Be ready to work. Be ready to answer the call. When it comes, go. That's the next part. Do what I command you. But you dress yourself for work, for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do it. How often does God have to call us to obedience in his word? Obey. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience. This is the very best way. Do what I have commanded you. 
And, and, and note this. This is... Notice what God says at the end of verse 17. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Okay, so God's saying, go attack. And we go, and we go, ah, whoa, hey, oh, oh. What have I just done? I have just mistrusted God. God said, go do this. Hey. Dude, he's not, he's not saying, oh, don't, don't worry about those guys. Do what I have asked you to do. We are derailed when we do not obey. If Jeremiah were overwhelmed by the task at hand, he would be impotent to complete it. There are Goliaths in the world. But when David looked across the field, he didn't see a giant clad in armor. He saw a dog. I mean, Goliath mocked him. Oh, do you come at, come at me like a dog with your sticks and your rocks? And David was like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, if, if, if God is going to use me to slay a bear and a lion, you, you're, you got nothing. You got nothing. Are you afraid of a butterfly? Good. Good. But really, Goliath is nothing but a butterfly before the living God. There is nothing insurmountable before God. We cannot stand against an enemy by looking at the might of the enemy or the feebleness of my hands. I mean, evangelism. So many of us are derailed from sharing the gospel because, you know, ah, I'm not going to be able to counter every argument that they have. I'm not going to be able to. Well, maybe, I, maybe I don't have a, a good presentation. They, me, I, my, them. Wrong focus. God has said, so do. Go do, I'm with you. I am with you. What about overcoming sin in your life or whatever battle you're facing? I've failed so many times. Why bother? Why bother? Oh, I'm a failure. Indulge. Go ahead, do it again. Just blow up. Oh, you know, that's the way God made me. That's... He made me, you know, a, a furious man. Well, so I'm going to be furious. No. The temptation is oh so great. No. When we do not trust God at His word, He will leave us to our own devices. And He will see our feeble plans thwarted. When we do not trust him. Okay, now let's not think this is some kind of artificial self-confidence that I have to build. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. No, you're not going to. You're gonna face plant again. 
Just do what God has called you to do. That's all he asks you to do and trust him for the rest. You can't grow a crop. You can't. All you can do is plant the seed. Locusts might come, you get nothing. That's not your, that's not your job. He just calls you to plant. Calls you to do the things he calls you to do. Only in God's power can anything happen. You know, you, you see professional football players or athletes going, hey, uh, you know, look at the name on the back, that's me, that's me. There's a hockey player named Sid Crosby, probably one of the best of the modern era. He said, I play for the logo on the front, not for the name on the back. Okay, my motivation is the God who made me, his glory. I play for the God who saved me, for his pleasure, not, not for my own glory. So it's, it's not in the confidence of Keith that I go off. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting God to do his good work regardless. And he says, God says, okay, verse 18, and, be, and I, I, God says, I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city and iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. I'm going to make you steal before them. I'm going to make you impregnable to them. You've got better armor than Iron Man and a stronger shield than Captain America. Okay? Nothing is going to happen to you apart from God's hand. Again, that doesn't mean you're not going to die. But I can have confidence that no matter what happens, it's God's. And until that day, until that day of my death, that God knows I'm immortal, nothing can take me but Him and His plan and His design. So what do I fear? Butterflies? No. No. But they're going to fight. Okay? It's not like they're not going to fight. They're going to fight. People will still antagonize. People will still mock you. There will be scoffers. We talked about that in Sunday school. Satan hates you. We talked about that last week. He's going to do everything in his power to derail you. Just do what God has called you to do. Why? Because God is with you. The, the end of the matter, verse 19, I am with you. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail. Why not? Because I am with you. It goes back to Romans 8. God is with you. God is with you. That should just blow our minds. The child who fears the thunderstorm comes and crawls in the father's lap and finds solace in their father's arms and hearing the words, it's all right, I'm here. 
how much more should that bolster us and give us a hope as we go out into this world to do whatever God has called you to do? I am here. I am with you. Nobody will prevail against you. Trust me. So where does that leave us? Well, in the call of Jeremiah, we see the call to each one of us that God has made us for his purposes and crafted us for a cause. I'm not just a speck in the cosmos. I'm an image bearer of the living God. And for the saints, we can know that we are adopted into his family, that we have a hope. And we have a joy. We can have a joy. We can, but will we? Now, I don't mean to dismiss our fragility. Yes, let us recognize our fragility. But let us recognize our fragility before an omnipotent God who goes with us. My fragility and my feebleness and my failings should not derail me but impel me to go because it isn't me. It's him. I'm a youth. I'm a senior. I'm a single mom. I'm a widow. I'm white. I'm black. I'm green. But God. But I have to hearken to his word. I have to, I have to found my life and my message on his word. A car without gas goes nowhere. A plant without sun withers and dies. A man's life is powerless to live against the evils of this world apart from the Word of God. So we as saints abide in the confidence of the presence of the God who has called us. That's what faith is. I go in that faith. I go in that trust. I prepare myself. I dress for the labors that he's called me. I'm ready. I step out when God gives me a mission, when he calls me to do something suddenly and unexpectedly. I go and do that thing. And I understand that every foe is surmountable in God. They're butterflies. They're just butterflies, really. I trust God for the trajectory of the stones that I hurl at the giant. God is the ordainer of wind to steer things as he so desires. And that should give us a great and abiding peace. This isn't driver's ed, and the foes are massing to the north. We see this in the world around us. And if your hope wavers today, if you feel timid and feeble... Let the body of Christ in the word of Christ through the power of the spirit of Christ bolster you. Don't sit in your timidness. Share it. Not to boast in your timidness, but to confess it to a brother or sister and let them exhort and encourage you to run this race. Do not be silent. If your eyes have been opened today to the rebellion of your heart, the mercies of God, today is the day of salvation. Young or old, 
If you do not know Christ, praise His name that today you heard His voice. Repent of your sin and turn to Him and live. Rejoice in the truth and share with somebody. Do not be silent. Let us all go from this place in the courage and joy that is found in the God who goes with us. Now, typically we will end the service with a prayer and a song. And we're going to end with the song. Corbin, you want to come up and give us the G there? The last song is the doxology. Oh, I have the, I told Tracy, yeah, I, I got that. Stand up. Let's pray, you probably don't need the lyrics, but they're up there. Go ahead, just the chord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we thank you. For the word that you proclaimed to Jeremiah and the word that still abides to us today. Let us be encouraged in the God that you are. Let us understand our feebleness before you, but the greatness that you are. Father, let us have eyes to see the mission and purpose that you have for each one in our comings and goings in the ordinary and the extraordinary. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.